successful screening of a very heavy agenda and Whittier was really cool. It reminded me how just extraordinarily psychedelic and just what a masterpiece a very heavy agenda is, uh, especially part one. If you guys have not seen it, you really should check it out because above all, it's just a really good reminder of how war propaganda is packaged and sold to us and who the players are behind the scenes who are really puppeting the politicians. So check it out. It's awesome. Thank you for the kind words, Abby. <laughs> um, Free my boy, Sam Knight. Free my man. Poor Sam Knight got banned on Twitter. This is how arbitrary Twitter's like policies are. Um, they even released a new policy, basically, um, explaining how government entities and military entities, like the policy of violence and threats, don't apply to these entities. So whenever people are saying like, oh, why can't Trump's account be taken down for like yeah. literally threatening to kill tens of millions of people? Um, apparently these people are exempt from the threats of harm on Twitter's new rules of, you know, violence. But people like Sam Knight, who just troll near a tandem, um, hilariously are banned. So this is this is the danger here when we like when we try to get people like Milo Yiannopoulos and stuff like even though I totally support you know, him being off Twitter because it makes my life better, <laughs> my experience better online. Um, there's a slippery slope here because corporations can just arbitrarily choose who to ban and why. And um, obviously they're never going to choose like marginalized groups to protect. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the reason that I wasn't thrilled when Milo was banned off Twitter and even other right wing figures were banned off Twitter because it does essentially provide cover for when a radical left-wing controversial figure gets banned from Twitter, then, you know, nobody's going to be there to like stand up for them. I mean, that's, so that's, I mean, like it goes back to my feeling of like, you know, even YouTube, like the idea of like censoring Pizzagate videos. Um, I don't think they should be doing that because even though I don't believe in Pizzagate, I think it's like a bullshit, um, you know, ridiculous conspiracy theory. I still think that that should be, they should allow things like that. They should, you know, like Infowars shouldn't be censored, things like that. Um, but if someone's actually literally calling for violence, I think that's different. Um, but, you know, Sam Knight wasn't calling for violence. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he says some pretty outlandish things on Twitter just to, like, dunk people. Um, and... You know, he obviously was have offended Nira Tannen or somebody, maybe one of her followers reported him. I mean, do we, we even know exactly what happened? No, we don't. I, d I just found out right before we started this. I'm stunned. Yeah. Well, Sam, uh, we support you. Um, yeah, we love we, you, man. We want you to come back to Twitter. We love you, man. And uh, you do good work on the District Sentinel. And uh, yeah, um, you know, I don't know what you could do as a Twitter user, as someone out there who's a fan of Sam to try to get him back on. Um, but he's, he's not been given any indication of when his account will be let back on. It's not a temporary suspension. Oh, I think it's, I think it's like canceled. Yeah. They actually like, yeah. I mean, you can lobby maybe them to bring it back, but, um, when they do this, usually they cancel it. It just pisses me off so much. Like no one is making a big deal about the D ranking, you know, Eric Schmidt, Mark Zuckerberg, just basically acquiescing to the empire and saying, we're going to D rank. We're going to basically censor and back page yeah. Russian content. What does that even mean? It could mean someone who's just Russian writing something or as you. we know, it's literally just Russian accounts or me. Well, that's the thing. I mean, and I'm not going to sit such here. It's a scary climate. And this is not a narcissistic thing or because I'm Abby's brother and I'm like 
think that you're special be- simply because you're my sister. <laughs> I like the work <laughs> you do. But it's blatantly obvious to me, looking at it from the outside, when I see your Facebook postings now, it's obvious that they're shadow banning you. There's no question about it. The amount of reach that you used to have on Facebook just m- merely a year ago compared to now is ridiculous. The amount of likes and shares you get on your posts is like at least one twentieth, maybe like one fiftieth the ratio. That's that really used to be. sad. Yeah. I mean, am I wrong? No, I, you're not. So that, like, that in of itself is alarming because you don't work for RT anymore. It doesn't matter. You're written up in the DNI report. You're persona non grata to these people. Mm-hmm. You're essentially a Russian agent, even if you're working Forever. for them or not. Yeah. Forever, yeah. I mean, and it's almost like, are they doing it to censor the information you're putting out? Or is it almost like punitive? Right. Like people who work for RT, they don't deserve to have a voice anymore because they're unpatriotic. Like, it's like, is it, which one is it? It's almost could be like that more McCarthyite you know, mindset. Cause back during that time period, it was also punitive. It wasn't just, we seriously believe all these people are communists and we want to ruin them. It was also like, it was like a mixture between yeah, the two. Course. It's like, if you're too radical, then you're might, you might as well be a communist. Yeah. So we're going to fucking ruin your career. I mean, that's kind of yeah, the guilt same by thing. association. Yeah. yeah, of course you're tainted forever. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. It's, 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 um, but I mean, that's that's the future of how this is going to be done. I mean, Twitter specifically, you know, I was a lot of the time during all this, like especially when Google and Facebook announced they were going to start combating fake news. I had this false impression that, well, at least Twitter, you know, still chronological. They're, mm-hmm. they're democratic in the sense that you can see posts in the order that they happen, like people's posts don't get priority. And then that sort of slowly started to shift where you started to see like a prioritized, like curated stream all of a sudden that would sort of yeah, and it's like people that I'm not following. It's yeah. like if I, like if I wanted to see this, this person's tweet. shit, I would yeah. follow them. Yeah. Why am I seeing Like this? there's a reason why I don't follow Dave Weigel. I don't want to see my like people who get baited by neoliberalism. I know like retweeting or liking his tweets. Just I like Sam Knight said, I'll quote Sam Knight. Please don't put David from in my fucking timeline, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like period. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly this mass hallucinations going on on both sides of the political aisle, whether it be Trump sycophants, um, you know, with, with Trump's boot down their throat or the Russia gate obsessed neoliberals, it is scary. And it's coming to a point where I feel like people could start acting pretty bizarrely. For example, at Robbie's screening that he just had in Whittier, a woman at the end of it kind of lashed out at him and said, you know, I love my country. I'm an American citizen. And like Russia interfered in our election. And First your sister works for RT and like, First, she started by yelling, this is propaganda. Yeah. This is propaganda. And keep in mind, she was talking about a non-narrated, basically like a collage of, like a dreamlike collage of edited together clips, which is what a very heavy agenda essentially is. And and also a very heavy agenda part one, which I screened, is barely about Russia. It's sort of showing you how the Bush administration, neocons got into the Obama administration and that's it. So to have a neoliberal person who's obviously brainwashed by like Maddow and MSNBC getting that upset. That's what I'm saying. It was scary because I'm was. I'm saying that at a certain point, I'm like, someone could harm either of us because of the affiliation with Russia. And if you actually think that people are like treasonous and traitors and deserve to like die and are spreading treasonous propaganda that, you know, if you actually believe that, yeah, um, that is really fucking scary. And, you know, we're at these screenings and there's people who are like totally off the rails. 
Yeah, I mean, luckily, most of the people there, you know, were older, left-leaning, probably Democrat-voting yeah. people. But I just I had a flash in my mind, like someone, I mean, this could get really dark. It well, could it get could, like the Pizzagate thing. It I could, mean, no, it easily could. That's the scary thing. It's, people are playing scorched earth on both sides to such a degree that, I mean, it wouldn't be that shocking if some... Somebody who watched Rachel Maddow or somebody like went and shot up, mm-hmm. you know, somebody having to do with Russiagate or something or went up and shot up RT in yeah. DC or something. I mean, it's, it is a really dangerous climate. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, luckily, uh, luckily I don't think that's mainstream. Like I would like to think that most democratic voters like aren't that riled up about Russia right now. Um, but I could be wrong. I wanted to believe that too until I kind of started just asking. I just like kind of try to talk to every single person that I interact with mm-hmm. and eventually it comes to politics and stuff. And I would say well over half of the people that I talk to do buy into an element of the Russiagate stuff. And I mean, it's, it's well, hard. Not, it, it's, it's easy to understand why, yeah. because it really is ad nauseum on every single news channel. But when you get to the like core of what the quote-unquote interference is, no one really knows. Um, and Aaron Mate had a good point that even Democracy Now! barely mentioned the Israel collusion. Like, no one even talks about how Israel, you know, we talked about this on the, the podcast before the last one about North Korea, but you guys should listen to it. Just really, it all comes down to Israeli government officials pressuring Flynn, etc., to contact Russian government officials. Um, and the fact that no one's talking about that, even Amy Goodman, I think is very strange. Yeah, I mean, it's just weird. Yeah, the 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 the, the Russiagate thing. I mean, in my mind, it's still completely fake. Um, <laughs> there really is no nothing that no evidence I've seen so far that really means anything to me. And uh, and look how far we've moved away from the idea that Russia manipulated the election by like working with WikiLeaks to leak all those emails. Like that's not even the narrative anymore. It's just that Don Jr. wanted to meet with a Russian government official who yeah. said he had dirt on Hillary. That's and like what it comes down to, right? That's or the, that's like the smoking gun. That's the best evidence they have. Yeah. So if we're talking about the evidence or proof, but what is that proof of? Right. That they had the intent to collude with someone from the Russian government to dig up dirt on yeah. Hillary Clinton. That's not what they were alleging originally. <laughs> so if like you really want to talk about what they're alleging now, what they're alleging now is almost like a really slow motion goalpost move they've done to basically say that Russia interfered with our democratic process in this like vaguer, mm-hmm. more all encompassing sense by running bot farms to tr- make hashtags on Twitter go viral, divisive hashtags that RT is trying to sow divisions in our country. They're almost leaning more on that section of the DNI report that just talks about how Russian media was trying to polarize our country. Yeah. And that, if that's where they land and that's where they end up and that's where this narrative ends up going, then that's so completely different than saying that Russia hacked or manipulated our election and worked with WikiLeaks and that Putin and, or that Julian Assange and Trump are like Russian agents of some kind which they've never showed any proof for. It's just a bunch of conspiratorial dot connecting. So if that's what they end up with and that's that far away from that original sort of assertion, then it really shows, to me, it proves that it's all bullshit. I mean, that they've moved away from that and now they're just leaning on something that 
is in a way you could you could argue that it is there is some truth to what they're saying now like even the alliance for securing democracy even though that algorithm that they've commissioned by some programmers to show that these hashtags are boosted by Russian bots. That seems like bullshit. But the idea that they're saying that Russia is trying to interfere with our political process in a vague and oversimplified way, that is that's, you can't really argue that that's not happening. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That Russia has a vested interest in inserting themselves into our political dialogue but that's not but that's that doesn't that's not like a crime that's legal we, you know so that's it's just interesting that it's like so what it's just like american exceptionalism to the extreme where people yeah. are like i mean just on that logic alone it's absurd the fact that we have like you know we we puppeted yeltsin i mean it just goes back to everything that we engineer in the entire world and then it's like the fact that russia could have had some sort of contact or influence is like the most treasonous mm-hmm. thing in the world even though I don't there is no proof it's just it's so hypocritical yeah and I mean I was saying before my my personal theory is that the United States allowed Russia today to operate and waited for the right moment to use them as a scapegoat I mean the, I don't really think the United States government ever saw them as a real threat and I really still don't think that they do no, because they know how many people actually watch RT. Yeah. So this really does come down to trying to marginalize and soft censor radical thought and opinions. I mean, that's it's not really about RT. It never was. If it was, then why did the United States government like it's just it's just strange. To me. And let's let's talk really quickly about Erica Garner, because she was a an amazing woman who and she just passed away, which is horrifying because she was one of the amazing ones out there who really saw through the bullshit and didn't let anyone um exploit her she all she even confronted obama to his face like she really really went hard um and she was one of the ones who went on rt constantly and would constantly talk about the corporate media hegemony and how they always censored her and how they never gave her play and she would always praise rt and say thank you for giving me this platform thank you so much she never succumbed to the propaganda about rt um, and she just passed away and even Bill de Blasio has the balls to come out and say, Erica Garner's death is a horrible tragedy. I'm praying for her family. It's like, fuck you, dude. She doesn't need empty words from you. Basically her father's killer Dan- was killed by the NYPD, right? Daniel Panta- Pantanello, is that his name? Anyway, the guy who killed Eric Garner was given a $20,000 raise, he wasn't even just, like not fired. He was given a raise. And the guy who filmed the death is basically still in jail, I think. And he was like being fed rat poison by, I think he was like in Rikers or something insane. The guy who just filmed the, the, the murder. Um, and as we know from Matt Taibbi's book, uh, he wasn't even selling cigarettes at all. That was also fake. So even that um, was a lie. So... Send well wishes and thoughts to Erica Garner's family. She has two young boys. Her her last wish was for people to invest more in foster care because apparently she was also raised in foster care. It's just a really, really sad story. Um, and we sad. have to keep fighting for her. And we have to keep fighting for the justice uh, of all families of, of police brutality and victims of police murder. Yeah. Um, really, really tragic. Uh she how old was she 27 or something yeah i mean the amount of stress that you know she must have been under 
um, the amount of death threats she was getting. I mean, she was very outspoken. So imagine being a victim or your, you know, your family is basically murdered by police. Someone in your family is, and then you go out there and try to have a really strong voice on social media in this climate, especially as a black woman, um, you're really putting yourself out there into the line of fire. I mean, figuratively speaking, there's so much fire and vitriol coming in your direction that, um, you know, and she didn't back down. She, she, you know, she put herself in that situation and, uh, I'm not saying that the state killed her or that, you know, even that her heart attack was because of the stress, but I mean, just, just being, imagine being in that position and how difficult that would be and the toll that would take on you to stand up for what you believe in and try to fight back. I mean, she was even talking about Zionism and Israel and stuff on Twitter. So like she wasn't, she didn't try, like, unlike a lot of other sort of flash in the pan activists who get like popularity really quick. Um, she was the real deal. I mean, you could see it from her Twitter feed. Like it wasn't ran by a PR agency. It wasn't mm-hmm. ran by any like democratic operatives or D Ray style, like, you know, milk toast ass, like neoliberal charter school people. It was like an authentic sort of stream of her thoughts and how she felt about things. And, um, it's worth checking out just to see what kind of stuff she had to say. Absolutely. And rest in peace, Erica. We will never stop fighting for you. Um, another interesting, I'm already tearing up and it's been five minutes in the podcast. Another really bizarre story is Norway is banning weapon sales to Saudi Arabia. My first thought was Norway sells weapons. Um, why? <laughs> like, and also like, great job guys. Pat yourself on the back. Like two years after we just like, you know, caused this grave humanitarian crisis where tens of millions of people are on the brink of starvation, literally in concentration camp style, um, Norway decides to just suddenly have a moral compass. Thanks, Norway. Very strange. And, and I like how they cited like great concern over the humanitarian crisis. It's like, what, at what point was it the 10,000 people dead mark or... You know, like how many babies did you have to see starving to death before you're like, you know what? We're going to stop selling weapons today. (laughs) Three million people displaced, 80% of Yemenis lacking food, fuel, water, and access to healthcare. As we mentioned before, deliberate targeting of just humanitarian structures, just blocking access from basically getting aid and food. It's, It's the most criminal venture going on. And you know, this is an argument that people usually make against countries like Iran or totalitarian countries or whatever that we don't like, but you never hear this about Saudi Arabia, but it's like very, very true for them, um, is, uh, people who live over there. Um, I heard this through a mutual friend of mine, uh, that they don't even believe that like poverty exists in Saudi Arabia. Um, and that's really interesting because, You know, Saudi Arabia obviously has all their media on total lockdown and their stats. They don't like actually publicly release Mm -hmm. like their poverty or like wealth stats or anything. So like a country like that not only has a free pass from the U.S. from doing all this horrible shit to their own people and like bombing people, but we don't even put pressure on them to like release stats of like what's really going on in their country. So it's like a complete like, you know. Like they can say anything they want. I mean, the but world... yet, but, but yet, but we don't ever see the kind of hysterical, cartoonish propaganda that we see coming out of North Korea. Like, yeah. oh, Saudi Arabians—they're like eating dogs yeah. in the street. Or, or... Iran. It's like immediately when these protests started happening, it's like, well, it's obviously because the fucking banks and like they're screwing the Iranian people and all this stuff. It's like, well, I mean, 
like it's just it's just fascinating how Saudi Arabia always dodges the bullet. Um, yeah. And like we don't even think about like like I even even the conversation I had about economic disparity in Syria, it's like something that you never even hear talked about because it's like, wait a second, like there's no information about mm-hmm. this. We always hear about Yemen being like the poorest country in the mm-hmm. world, one mm-hmm. of the poorest. Um, you know the starvation, the living conditions there, but if they share a border with Saudi Arabia, it's just like so. What what is really going on in Saudi Arabia in terms of like their economic disparity? Good point. And it's like we that just shows just the lack of real concern. It just shows right. which issues are selectively talked about in our public dialogue. And Absolutely, which ones and every you other know? every other closed off society like North Korea or. You know, they even point to Venezuela and like exactly. say like we yeah, assume yeah, yeah, the yeah. worst yeah. because of course the government's hiding the real statistics or like even Cuba and it's like Jesus Christ, dude, what about Saudi Arabia? Yeah. Um, one really quick shout out to Kyle Kalinske. I watched a couple of his videos on the on the tax scam and I enjoyed them a lot. Um, he's good on economic stuff, and uh, I really understood a lot more about why the tax bill is so horrendous. The capital gains tax alone. I mean, it's basically why people like Mitt Romney and Donald Trump are rich. Like they didn't actually work. Mm-hmm. They were given like giant inheritances, you know, tax free essentially. And, yeah. and this capital gains tax is like if you just have money sitting there um, and it can just accumulate like interest or whatever. So unfortunately, people who just have giant vast uh, amounts of wealth just sitting in bank accounts like Mitt Romney, like Donald Trump. These people just accumulate interest on their wealth and are taxed at like half the level that actual workers contributing to the economy are taxed. And I'm throwing these numbers out there, but I think I think it was something like 40% compared to 20%. And this new tax plan just like lessened it an outrageous amount. So Huge giveaway to corporations. I, I I completely butchered that explanation, but just watch his videos. He breaks it down a lot better. But I just, I learned a lot about how absurd it is that we don't tax this at the same exact rate and how, how actually sad it is for Trump supporters to like buy into this when it's just so obvious, even on paper. Um, it's because for some reason, a lot of his supporters still think that he's actually helping the working class. I mean, so many blue collar um, workers and people from the working class in this country um, thought that he actually cared about them. Um, I mean, that was always sad to me that they actually bought into that. I mean, he's a billionaire, four billionaires and other corporate corporations and corporate profits. And, you know, just one small example of that is how the military industrial complex are making literally record profits right now. Um, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Raytheon, they're all booming in the stock market. Um, and making a huge profits. Um, so is that really helping the little guy? I mean, how many blue collar workers are working for those companies? So well, it's the most billionaire stacked administration, I think in history. Yeah. So it's just, none of these narratives line up with reality. It's like, yeah, Hillary Clinton and the Clinton foundation and all those like coastal elite, like DC neoliberal people, they're corrupt as fuck. But that doesn't mean that Trump is like somehow good. Like it's just all this shit, just like knee jerk reaction, partisan it's tribalism. Such, yeah. They're both corrupt motherfuckers. Yeah, it's like the like whole draining. So when awful. he kept saying drain the swamp and, and talking specifically about how Goldman Sachs like owns Hillary Clinton and Saudi Arabia and all this stuff, I, I thought that his whole draining the swamp thing, or at least I thought his supporters understood it to be, you know, eliminating that sort of corporate cronyism from government. 
like eliminating those like the Monsanto executives running the FDA, like eliminating money this. out of politics. Yeah, like okay, but yeah. then but then what happened was the opposite, where actually he removed that veneer of like legitimacy, where he just like he gave so little fucks about his base, about anything, about staying true to any of this rhetoric, that he actually just hired the ExxonMobil president, hired like Goldman Sachs VP, like all of these people were just literal corporate executives. So it should be insulting to people. It shouldn't be like empowering for people to be like, oh, like, yeah, he's draining his off. It's like, no, this should be insulting to you. This should insult your intelligence that like this guy actually lied to you and yeah. said he was going to quote unquote drain the swamp. Do you like that? You like putting Exxon Mobil's president in charge of our fucking foreign policy? You think that's good? They, they, I mean, apparently they don't think those people are globalists. That's what's Jesus so fascinating Christ. about How it. is Rex Tillerson not a globalist? I guess because he wants to make put America first. Dude. I really don't know how these people define it anymore because it's become a meaningless term that was weaponized during the election and like distilled down from people like idiots like Alex Jones and Infowars to basically become a meaningless word to describe opponents of Trump. You're a globalist. You're a deep state. These words almost don't mean anything anymore because if Rex Tillerson isn't a globalist <laughs> and um, and Eric Prince isn't deep state. Then what are we really fucking talking about right, anymore? Right. Eric Prince, the head of Blackwater, a mercenary firm guided by um, a, a Christian uh, evangelical um, uh, Knights of Templar mentality that actually ordered hits on his employees and like got contacted by Masawi, the 20th hijacker before 9 11. Oh, thank you for bringing up the brain Blackwater. Putting hits on his employees. I mean, for fuck's sake, if this guy is in deep state and you don't think he's deep state, then you just don't know anything about Eric Prince or Blackwater. And you really should stop using the term deep state if you don't think that Trump's own people are deep state. You really need to stop using it because you don't fucking know what it means. Please stop. And, and speaking of Trump being a mentally incapacitated infant um today i woke up to two surreal tweets again uh, he doesn't even understand how to do threading on twitter as much as he loves twitter and and just giant really run on sentence if yeah. the deep state really is in opposition to trump then it almost seems like trump is at this point trying to concern troll them and to assassinate him because the shit he's saying <laughs> on twitter is so outlandish it almost seems like he wants the deep state to kill him you know what <laughs> like I like, and i like how every time like yes of course the media he sets these dumb culture wars right he he knows what to tweet and he knows how to hijack the news cycle I'll give him that but i don't think that this is like 8d chess here and i don't think that he's being brilliant no. or genius <laughs> with these tweets at all like these yes tweets i'll are weird as fuck dude <laughs> these tweets are like yeah. he is losing his goddamn mind and what's really sad is seeing all the followers being like either why are you obsessing about his tweets when it's like he's clearly out of his well, mind and like going crazy that president just uh, like fired off a bunch of totally bizarre batch of <laughs> tweets like why are you so obsessed with his tweets bro it's like well he just tweeted some really insane shit um I'm just literally Aren't talking. you concerned? Yeah. Like the fact like, that you think being like just posting about these crazy tweets means obsessed and you're upset by that. Like something is fucking wrong with but you. But also, so like, it's that, dude, it's that level of apologies. <laughs> but then it's the other people who are like, oh dude, like, yeah, no, no, no. This is like totally part of a strategy. Like, just wait. Just wait until the State of the Union address. <laughs> just wait. QAnon. Just wait until... Oh, okay, like you don't think he's a genius? Like just wait for the 8D chess when when Trump comes out and you know exposes the deep pedogate pizzeria conspiracy. Um, so this is all stemming back from me just quoting our president 
saying, be very worried when an adult baby starts shouting from the rooftops that they're a, quote, very stable genius. And two responses were, be worried when this radical genius gives his State of the Union address. It's about to go down, Abby. You ever hear of QAnon? Um, your defense yeah. of Trump is very strange. And then someone responded to both of us and they're like, I can't wait. And then they did like an, a million a million emojis of someone laughing, yeah, crying, so, laughing. And and when Abby and I saw this, we, we knew immediately that it, it had something to do with Pedogate or Pizzagate. <laughs> but what we didn't know is that QAnon is this incredibly credible resource. Um, we had we had never heard of him who has been basically guiding Alex Jones and Roger Stone and a lot of Pizzagate and Pedogate researchers including people like David Seaman who's an incredibly valuable Pizzagate researcher um, <laughs> who is not in it at all for self-promotion and clickbait <laughs> he is super legit uh, basically they've been following the the sage advice and wisdom and basically prophetic postings of this anonymous 4chan poster named QAnon who basically claims he is in in the deep state and he knows things that like that Trump is about to be assassinated he knows things like that the pedogate conspirators are about to be all rounded up and sent to jail um, and Pizzagate's about to be broken open and Clinton's about to be arrested and go to jail and then he's also saying that Mueller's investigation is not about Russiagate and is not about Trump cronyism or anything like that, that it's actually going to arrest Hillary Clinton, Huma Abedin, and Podesta, and they're all going to go to jail. So this QAnon guy is super fucking credible, and he's completely anonymous, and just like <laughs> Alex Jones and Roger Stone, I believe that he is a government insider feeding us legit information, and that it's not disinformation or controlled opposition at all. I believe it's super fucking legit and you should too when an anonymous account starts posting <laughs> postings on 4chan with weird prophecies and he signs and finishes his emails or his postings with god bless america that oh, you wow. should take that shit really seriously wow. it's legit information so this is apparently what QAnon is and what's interesting is i was just and and sorry if i'm being a little too sarcastic and i was n not making that obvious in the last few minutes but Switching gears to non-sarcasm really quickly. Um, I was just speculating on Twitter the other day. What's going to happen when all these Pizzagate, Pedogate researchers who are still obsessed with Pizzagate a year into his presidency, what's going to happen when they realize that Trump, the Trump administration isn't actually going to do anything about it? Because all these people like this guy right. QAnon are leaving these breadcrumbs somehow that even people like Alex Jones are buying into um, saying that the Trump administration is about to launch like a giant raid on all the real top Pizzagate people. And the whole time they've been doing it in secret because they know the deep state's gunning for them. So this is the real reason the deep state's been gunning for them, they say, is because Trump's about to launch a nationwide like announcement crackdown and be like Hillary Clinton's going to jail. They're all pedophiles. And I think this is what's so sad is they think it's going to happen at the State of the Union. Well, that's what there's this Twitter person was saying to you is they think that he's going to announce that at the State of the Union. I'm just blown away that it's been a year and what traditionally conspiracy movements do is they never trust power. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're like in power, but you're not as powerful as another power faction. They never trust power. Right. So it's really bizarre that there's this many like conspiracy people online who trust 
this like made up conspiracy theory that's like running underneath the right wing tabloid media that's not quite mainstream right wing tabloid media that Trump is about to round up all these pedophiles that have to do with Pizzagate that have to do with the liberal Dems and the you know the pedos and the the elite satanic like child molesters like that that's actually like that it's been a year where they've been believing there's a, someone with a carrot on a stick and there's like, a, making them follow this conspiracy theory for a year. But what's going to happen once they realize it's all bullshit when Trump doesn't do anything, which he's obviously but they're not, not going do. to realize it's bullshit. They're just going to keep moving it and saying, oh, well, he can't. The deep they state isn't allowing him until he's gone, Robbie. That's just so alarming and weird. To and me. then there's a warring conspiracy theory going on with the liberals about Russiagate. You know, oh, yeah. it's really, again, mass hallucinations. Well, listen to this. Mass so hallucinations. This is, this is, um, <laughs> this is one of Q's posts, and I just wanted to read you the type of shit. This is what people like Alex Jones, and this is QAnon, a post on 4chan, that says he, like, knows what's about to happen and knows what the deep state's planning to do and for some reason is, like, taken super seriously. It says, My fellow Americans, over the course of the next several days, you will undoubtedly realize that we are taking back our great country from the evil tyrants that wish to do us harm and destroy the last remaining refuge of shining light. Oh, my God. On POTUS's order, we have... Inf- initiated certain fail-safes that shall safeguard the public from the primary fallout, which is slated to occur 11-3 upon the arrest announcement of Mr. Podesta, actionable 11-4. Confirmation to the public of what is occurring will then be revealed and will not be openly accepted. Public riots are being organized in serious numbers in an effort to prevent the arrest and capture of more senior, senior public officials. On POTUS's order, a state of emergency, or sorry, a state of temporary military control will be acted and special ops will be carried out. False leaks have been made to retain several within the confines of the United States to prevent extradition and special operator necessity. This is so embarrassing. Wow. So he's basically like, by the way, Trump will also implement martial law, but don't worry, it's only to like round up pedos. Yeah, that's... That is basically what's saying is that Trump is about to launch martial law to protect them from like the deep state like pedo Dems because he's about to like arrest Podesta. Hey, it'll be worth it. This is fucking dude. As long as we can get I the pedos. I didn't even realize it went this deep. This is like yeah, some scary-ass like, like, civil war making weird-ass shit, dude. They're really playing with fire releasing this like controlled <laughs> opposition bullshit. And I feel like it might even be coming from the Trump administration somehow. I mean, and as weird as that sounds, like that there's someone still feeding out conspiracies. Yeah, like prepping people to think that they're... I don't know, it's really disturbing, really, really disturbing. Yeah, that there's planted fake news to distract from this, like, deep state op. Yeah, Uh so that, like, if Trump actually does get impeached, then they can just run this counter-narrative saying that... Oh, my God, yeah, there's so many bad things that can come of something like this. But it's just going to get worse. Well, I, mean, I like what you said fear. the other day. You said anonymity is the opposite of radicalism. Um, you know, we used to have this idea of like anonymous and, you know, this radical notion of anonymity online and how like we, yes, and while it is essential to protect your communications because of how it could be used and criminalized by the government, it also is like not really radical to cover or mask your ideology or your beliefs or your actions behind an anonymous account. <clears throat> Or an anonymous identity. So, I don't know. I'm all about putting yourself out there. Because I think that if all of us did that, um, it'd be a lot harder to manipulate and control us. 
Um, so just to get this out of the way, the tweet is, and it's a giant run on sense that goes on for three giant tweets about the Russian collusion, blah, blah, blah. Democrats and their laptops, the fake news, mainstream media, blah, 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 blah. Here's where it gets good. Actually, throughout my life, my two greatest assets have been mental stability and being like this is the start really of the tweet. smart. This is literally the start of one of his tweets. Actually, throughout my life, my two greatest assets have been my mental stability and being like really smart. Crooked Hillary Clinton also played these cards very hard. And as everyone knows, went down in flames. I went from very successful businessman to top TV star to president of the United States, in parentheses, on my first try. I would think that the that would qualify as not smart, but genius, dot, dot, dot. And a very stable genius at that. A lot of this could be described as just blatant displays of narcissistic personality disorder, but I would say it's even more alarming because a narcissist who's like been doing being that narcissistic for that long and has narcissistic personality disorder would have the self-awareness enough to be like embarrassed for tweeting something like that. They mm-hmm. wouldn't want to look so dumb and silly. They'd want to look good. Right. The fact that he's like has narcissistic personality, but doesn't even know how to make himself look good and like thinks this makes himself look good is almost like beyond narcissistic personality disorder. It's almost like full blown to me. It's almost like resembles like schizophrenia or like, like having like a psychotic break. Yeah, like or total being manic. Like fully delusional. Having a total yeah. manic episode. It's, it's really alarming. Because there's um, no one the buck really does stop yeah, with him when it comes to his Twitter. Unless it's just a joke to him. Unless it's just like he just thinks it's funny to tweet stuff like this. Like I honestly don't. I would have to be like a fly in the wall to know like. It, but to me it seems like it's coming from a genuine place of like a being like hurt. Oh my God. Like I mean hurting. look Bannon's out. Yeah. This book just pain. came out. This yeah. book just came out. The, the psychiatrist, mental health professionals calling Little him, bitches in you know, pain. <laughs> calling him mentally unstable. I completely wholeheartedly agree. Who else would say that? Who would say I'm a genius, a stable genius. No one in their fucking right mind would ever say that. Unbelievable to see so many people rush to his defense and act like this is normal, that this is fine. Actually, that this is good. That he's like trolling the media once again, Robbie. Well, how funny trolling is the it media. What a genius. After the election, he tried to like make friends with Hillary Clinton and acted like she was. Yeah, don't people was, like, care that he didn't again? lock her up? Yeah, and then now he's playing on the lock her up shit again. Like a year into his presidency, throwing this red meat out to his base, hoping that they'll still believe that he's going to lock up Hillary Clinton and all this shit. And the shocking thing is a lot of them still do. I mean, but it's also weird when you think about it from the perspective of imagine if Obama was tweeting about McCain a year into his first term as president as a (laughs) deflection method against away from his own scandals. Like imagine just how childish and weird that'd be on top of all the horrible neocon shit Obama was already doing. Like if he was also doing that, people would be like, what the fuck? Like (laughs) he's still talking about McCain, you know, like seen, like imagine if Obama was tweeting out senile McCain a year, this president would just be so unbelievable. So the fact that like this is what his base thrives on is this like criminal, this corrupt Hillary Clinton energy still a year into his presidency when Hillary Clinton lost is very, very surreal to me. Um, but at the same time, like some of that, you know, the neoliberal sort of media formation against him is also helping fuel that delusion that it mm-hmm. almost makes them think that Hillary Clinton somehow is still in charge. Well, it's like like the they're able to storm. convince themselves that, that the deep state, they're all Obama holdovers. They're Brennan's people and that Hillary Clinton is still running the show. Cause it's the neoliberal globalist elites like the Clintonites and shit. It's like, 
I mean, that's how Trump, I think, can get away with still talking about Hillary Clinton this long after. I think it it is the perfect storm. It's like Bannon's so savvy that when he latched on to Trump at the beginning, and and this is coming out in the book that we're that we're seeing these quotes from Bannon basically saying like provoking the media, like keep prodding the media, making Trump do all this crazy controversial shit, having him insult everyone, creating these media firestorms to then yep. galvanize that media energy away, um, monopolize the vacuum of the right wing media circuit and reverberate these talking points that are just protecting Trump's base and um and reaching out to Trump's base. And that's exactly what Bannon did. Bannon played the book very well, used Trump to his own advantage to actually gain popularity for Breitbart. Um, and unfortunately, here we are. Like, this is this is the result of these kind of, like, dirty media tricks. Um, and because people are just dumb enough to buy it, where now they actually have just bought into the narrative that because the media criticizes the president, mm-hmm. they're part of this, like, deep state coup. And also, I would make the argument, and I know you probably don't see eye to eye on me with this, but that Bannon really did want people like Milo and those people like who would come to talk at UC Berkeley to be like turned into like free speech martyrs. Of course. I really feel like in the sense that no, when Noam Chomsky said that Antifa was a gift to the right, in that, that sense, what I just described, that Bannon wants that to happen, I think Chomsky's correct. That the, it's like Bannon... You know, you would think, oh, um, this might, you know, that's great in a way. That's really great press for his whole movement. Absolutely. No, Bannon's to, whole ideology is, yeah, is to have Antifa blaming the left for everything. Burning down part of yeah. UC Berkeley when Milo came, that is, that creates huge gains for his movement. You know, le- way less than it does for the left. I mean, in my mind, I don't, maybe there are some people on the left who still think Milo is the greatest threat. No, Bannon wants us. an accelerationist. He wants, like he said, he wants the system to come crashing down. He said this again and again. He, he wants civil war in the streets. He wants um, leftists, quote unquote, to be like outed and, and basically crushed mm-hmm. in totalitarian fashion. He blames the left for everything. Um, for the rise of Islam, like he literally blames the left for everything. Which is so funny because, as I'm about to go into a little later, is that Breitbart regularly has on John Bolton, who was one of the biggest like Iran war war on terror hawks ever. And you know, a lot of these people on the alt right pretend to hate neocons, but yet Breitbart still sucks John Bolton's dick like every fucking day. And it's like if you really want to blame the rise of like hardcore. Islamic militancy on something, it would be the neocons, you know? Oh my God. And the wars that they did. So it's just so funny just how much they're able to blame the left for everything when it's like in almost any case, the only argument that they have that I can even remotely sympathize with and understand why people get so sucked into it is like the social justice warrior phenomenon and like Breitbart's whole culture war fighting against that. Because, like, there is part of that strain of thought, which is, to me, does go too far. But the right have made it seem like everybody on the left is, like, a full-blown social justice warrior who wants, you know, um, to insert, like, identity politics into everything, which is not the case at all. Most people we talk to, or at least I talk to, who are on the left side of the spectrum, they actually don't subscribe to a lot of that identity politics right. stuff. But when you go to Breitbart, it seems they represent it like everybody on the left does. Of course, yeah. It's you know, like one they college kid. Star Wars with it, saying it's a social justice warrior propaganda film when it's a fucking corporate conglomerate money-making fucking scam. It's a Disney fucking corporate property. You really think they're, they care about people of color and, and feminism? Fuck no. 
Like, that's the silly part about this. Like, corporations don't give a shit about feminism and people of color. The only reason they seem like they do is because they want to make money. Yeah, exactly. So they, like, want to be inclusive to make more money. It just kills me that people think, like, blue-haired feminists on college campuses are threatening our speech more than the actual government run by, like, crazy evangelical Mm -hmm. Christians. Yeah, well, it's... That's more of a threat, Robbie. It's really sad, yeah. Similarly to Israel, where there's that slogan there that says, basically, Muslims are like the common cold and leftists are AIDS. So they say, if you don't get rid of AIDS, then you can't get rid of the common cold. So they, their whole thing is like the left is really deterring us from the final solution, from like the final ethnic mm-hmm. cleansing of all Palestinians. And I think that that is a similar mentality to the Bannon ideology of Wait, hating who, the left. Go back. Look, Israeli society. This? this is what like people have chanted, like death to oh, leftists. Wow. Yeah. In Israel, because they see leftists as a huge deterrent from the ethnic cleansing that they want to partake. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing with Bannon. It's like they see leftists as like just this big obstacle and like their war on Islam and all like the marching war with Muslims that they really want to carry out. Well, it's fascinating you bring that up because Bannon and Andrew Breitbart started Breitbart in Israel. It's insane. They did it as like a symbolic gesture. So they don't see that as hindering the America first mentality? That's a good question. I mean, it seems like they are, in the sense that they are like neocons, they want to make America and Israel first. So they really share a lot with neocons they as much as they pretend do. to hate them. That's Interesting. The, that's the fascinating part about it. I mean, they're ushering in some of the most dangerous neocon thought I've ever seen in years. I mean, just this this hostile footing towards Iran, mm-hmm. um, towards wanting to you know deport Muslims. That's all straight up neocon bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like... The generic right wing, you know, sort of xenophobia that happened after 9-11 was bad in and of itself. But like the neocons specifically were the ones who really laid all the groundwork for that. I mean, so, yeah, it is really fascinating how there's this fake divide now where people like Tucker Carlson can go on his show and say he's anti-neocon because he has an argument with Max Boot. Yet you can go back to the Bush era and find dozens and dozens of clips of Tucker Carlson saying he likes when the Bush administration lies about the Iraq war, that he wants to bomb the Iranian people. Um, these people are disgusting fucking hypocrites. And it doesn't matter if now they pretend to be anti-neocon. They actually helped kill people in the Middle East, in my mind. So right, no, it's too You can't late. renege on that now. Like, you fucking use your platform to murder people. Um, and you need to pay for it. Yeah, and where's and, the mea yeah. culpa about Iraq from Tucker Carlson? Well, he claimed he's always been anti the Iraq war, hmm. which, you know, maybe he's he's partly telling the truth. But at the same time, like he was propagandizing for almost all the during the whole Bush administration, mm-hmm. like for Bush's talking point. So I don't give a shit if he was just anti the Iraq war, you know. Yeah. If you're anti neocon and you truly are, you need to be like anti the war, the whole fundamental underpinning for the war on terror. Right. You can't just be half-hearted about it. Like, you have to roll it all back. You know, yeah. even if you believe 9-11 was, as the government said it happened, all the shit we did afterwards is still completely invalid, even invading Afghanistan. So, anyways. Um, another interesting thing that, that happened um, via Glenn Greenwald on The Intercept, that, that Facebook is deleting posts of Palestinians and prominent Palestinians for, quote-unquote, incitement. The Israeli government is working with Facebook and Twitter to cancel accounts. And this has happened to 95% of accounts that Israeli government officials have, like, handed over to the corporation they've complied with. Um, We already know, based on reports that um, Empire Files, Mike and I have done from the West Bank, that 
Israeli government officials will, under Israeli military law, basically all activism in Palestine's um, criminalized and you can be jailed for simply having a rally, for holding a flag, all this stuff. If you just post a photo of quote unquote a martyr, someone who died, that could be considered incitement. And the amount of likes and shares that that photo gets could put you in administrative detention for an undetermined amount of time based on the amount of shares and likes that your photo gets. So knowing that, I guess I'm not that surprised at this news. It is just very surreal that corporations are just doing the bidding of is the Israeli and U.S. government to censor yeah. content. And, and Palestinians get their news from Facebook. Oh, you know what I, I wanted to mention That's earlier so frustrating. that I forgot to? How could I for, fucking forgot to mention this? Oh, wait. Re- yeah, really quickly. Palestinian Information Center reported that at least 10 of their administrators' accounts, followed by 2 million people, have been suspended. Seven of them Not permanently. These are all. like huge like Palestinian activists and, and human rights yeah. people. And this really shows you what the this whole Russiagate thing is designed to do, is to squash... Any sort of radical political thought, but mostly we already know that the left poses a real danger. You know, anti-Zionists, anti, uh, you know, BDS people. Those are the ones who really pose a real danger. It's not these alt-right tribal tribalists who are like crazy mouth breathers. I mean, if you really so, yeah. I will stand up for the rights of like right-wing crazy people to not be banned off Facebook and stuff, but. This is what this this is the kind of stuff that people won't even like pay attention to when it happens. So this is like what you really need to be worried about is when left wing they come for left wing activists. So but the thing I was gonna mention earlier is about Twitter. You know, it's I had this false impression in my mind that Twitter was better than Facebook and Google. But they admitted during these congressional hearings that they deleted up to fifty percent, fifty percent of the DNC leaks hashtag as it was trending during like the peak of the 2016 election, they deleted 50% of the traffic that you were able to see, meaning that they have admitted to what the concept Abby and I were just talking about. That is shadow banning. If you are follow a bunch of people on Twitter and you're not seeing 50% of those people's tweets about the DNC leaks coming through your feed, that is what shadow banning and censorship is on these platforms. That's how they do it. So that's very, very alarming and you should be concerned. Even if you believe in Russiagate, even if you believe in it, we should still get to know what's in those emails. I mean, so, like, a internet company shouldn't be censoring those. Unless it's, like, nude leaked pictures of Chelsea Clinton or something like that. If it was something like that, yeah, I could understand a corporation censoring that. But it's not. So, I mean, it's not like we're... St- Anyways. I know, it's crazy. It's like, it still sounds like a conspiracy, even though it's been totally admitted and yeah. validated by these corporations. Shadow banning is no longer conspiracy, but the problem is all these like right-wing boy who cried wolf morons are all thinking they've been shadow banned for like talking about Pizzagate. And unfortunately, even in some of those instances, <laughs> they probably are right because Reddit acknowledged that they deleted... Pizzagate post. The actual CEO from Reddit was so upset at Pizzagate's really? viral traveling through Reddit that he went in himself with his moderator wow. account and edited people's Pizzagate posts to make like jokes in them. And then people had figured out why was my P- post edited? Holy shit, Pizzagate's real. Someone's like, my- oh, so the no. CEO of Reddit oh, like no. made these Pizzagate people think it was real because he fucking used his like heavy hand of Reddit to go in there and like alter shit. And it's like, why would you even do that? It's like so now you're just stoking crazy. the flames of it and making people think that oh. there's some kind of state hand involved in, you know? 
Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Of course. It just fosters that paranoia. It's like the gang stalking thing where you're like, Oh my God, like I'm being targeted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we need BDS here in the U.S. We need boycott, divestment, sanctions. We need an end to the empire. We need pressure from the outside. That's why we should all support Lord. We talked about this last podcast, but you wanted to mention how this crazy rabbi took out this full-page ad attacking her. Yeah, it was just so funny. Um, I'm kind of probably going to botch his name. I don't really give a shit. His name is Ra- Rabbi Shmuley. 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 Um, but... Uh, he basically, yeah, and, and he's obviously working on behalf of and getting funded by his actual Israeli government Hasbris. This is not like an organic, you know, like the stand with us thing that you got attacked by. That wasn't just some like independent group of people. It was obviously like a front group for the Israeli government. So what they do is, and they've done, they did this to Max Blumenthal, like during the, the election, um, uh, and I don't remember what exactly they said, but it was basically uh, using leaks from like the Hillary Clinton leaks or something about Max saying that he was like anti-Semitic. But they opened the, and I don't even know if it was the same group that did this full page ad, but they did one about Max like a year ago. And then the one they're doing now is basically saying that Lord, this musician Lord is a bigot for refusing to play in Tel Aviv for canceling her tour. Um, and that she's anti-Semitic. Um, and, it's just fascinating because, yeah, that's crazy to open to buy a full page ad in the New York Times. It's extremely expensive to do, um, and it's not like she's gonna renege on her canceling the. Two. She's not like she's gonna go like, okay, guys, yeah, I'll play in Tel Aviv now. She offered a very smart, educated sounding, re- like reason as to why she wasn't gonna play there. You know, it could first. Pro-Israel people and Zionists were trying to say that she was pressured at the last minute by BDS groups. Clearly not the case. Not the case at all. Her statement was very lucid, very informed sounding. Um, So either, and let's say worst case scenario, maybe she didn't write her response. But even still, she's standing up for and standing firm in that position, which says a lot and makes me commend her. And, um, you know, it's a brave thing to do, especially if you're famous, not even especially if you're famous, but if you're famous, you, you, you have a lot to lose mm-hmm. for doing this. It's not like you're going to get more popular from doing this. Um, so what was fascinating, though, is right after he bought this full page ad in the New York Times, dozens and dozens of media outlets were talking about it, but not just talking about the fact that Lord pulled out of Tel Aviv, but talking about the ad as if it was a story in and of itself, headline after headline <laughs> in in all these other outlets, WAPO, CNN, MSABC, um, Rabbi buys full page ad, you know, uh, calling Lord a bigot for canceling Tel Aviv tour. And it's not written in like an objective point of view. It's written basically just echoing the ad sentiments. So it's like, what? So if you're the Israeli government and buy an ad in a newspaper, you just get like 12 other free stories basically duplicating your ad and running it as a story? It's just like, who else has that kind of luck? And like, like if anybody else bought a full page ad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like praising coverage yeah. of your ad that you bought. I mean, you usually like a- that, and actually I'm wrong. Usually the only time you see that is with like corporations and product rollout. So like iPhone, mm-hmm, you'll mm-hmm, see like a full mm-hmm. page ad, in the New York times. And then every other like reviewer or like tech writer will be getting like a free iPhone and getting their dick sucked by Apple. And that's why they'll fucking like write positive about it. So it's like a more obvious form of like payola propaganda. Like, I mean, I don't know. It just blew me away to see that 
you know, how much free press this rabbi and this group got. Oh, for totally. Running that, that ad. Totally. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I, I guarantee you it was coordinated. I guarantee you that every single news publication that ran that story was given direction. Yeah. Well, that's funny. It's like when you say release. that nowadays, there's all these like neoliberals and even leftists who are like, oh, are you sure it was coordinated? Like, I don't know if this is coordinated. It's like, fucking open your eyes, dude. Of course it's a bunch yeah. of this shit's coordinated. <laughs> that doesn't make you a conspiracy theorist. What, do you think the WMD's propaganda that came out during the Bush administration wasn't coordinated? Mm-hmm. That shit was fucking locked down. They had stages of like specifically ordered yeah. ways to roll that Waves. shit out. Yeah. It was coordinated from the inside and the outside. And even on forums that are hijacked and this is all part and parcel with what the government yeah. does. These are released in NSA documents that they like hijack forums and yeah. threads. There's like thousands of agents online. And this is, this is aside from Israeli like Hasbro. agents. Literally direct yeah. federal agents who are working pretending to, to be. pretending to be like online commentar- commentators. I mean, and even in other instances, when, N- when Edward Snowden was working for the NSA, he was posting in like Ars Technica forums as just like a regular guy. He didn't say he worked for the NSA. So even people who have government jobs you know post their own opinions and and get in arguments with people on forums even when they're not being paid to do that allegedly but then there's a there's a whole other side of it which is like the stand with us has Mm -hmm. admitted to doing these kinds of workshops where they train people yes crowdsource propaganda techniques to go into forums and argue with people talking shit about israel they'll actually host workshops and teach people how to argue on behalf of israel like open this is an actual government agency that pays people with hot air balloon rides around tel aviv all that like gives rewards to people who can edit the most wikipedia entries all that um I wanted to just really quickly mention Ahed Tamimi. We have an unreleased interview with her coming out. She was arrested um, by Israeli soldiers in the middle of the night after they like shot her cousin, her brother. Um, actually, I think they shot her cousin. That was the first death in Palestine in 2018 was actually her cousin as well. So this is coming on the heels of like constant attacks and harassment against the Tamimi family. Um, for years and years, her father, uh, has tried to launch this big BDS campaign to expose the corporations that are profiting off of the illegal settlements. And so they've been targeted for a while, but she specifically is a total badass, um, amazing, amazing woman. This interview that I have with her is just unbelievable. I mean, the consciousness of a, at at that point, 16 year old girl, um, talking about the Israeli occupation and, and what they go through just as children to live and play and, and how impeded their lives are like living under a daily occupation. And I asked her what her hopes and dreams are. And she said, you know, other than a liberated Palestine to go to the beach yeah. because she said she lives like mere miles away from the beach and she is banned because Palestinians cannot go to the beach without a permit. And, and that's very rare to even be granted a permit. So Super sad. that is coming out. Um, but really quick before we move on to the the big news, which is Bannon and Iran, I wanted to mention really quickly kind of one of these news stories that we're talking about that are rolled out. The last podcast we had where we talked about Trump's mental health, we briefly mentioned the McDonald's thing and and how I said he eats like, you know, drinks like 11 Diet Cokes a day and, and eats like 10 Big Macs or whatever. The more that I thought about that story, the more it seemed like that was also a rolled out thing where everyone like got a talking point at the same time. Like everyone talk about how Trump's like an obese, like unhealthy person. And we were just like musing, Mike and I were just like, man, like this could be like a perfect cover to just like give him 
cancer or heart attack or something because honestly i mean let's say that there really are people who want him dead suggested deep state i mean if there really are people who want him dead it's like it's just like an interesting thing to like lay out like well he's so unhealthy he could drop dead at any moment he like eats an insane amount of fast food every day it was just like weird that that was on all the news stories at the same time i know but do you but do you remember did you actually see why he says he eats it every day because, because he's paranoid of being to what you just said. He's paranoid of he's being poisoned. Up being poisoned, so he thinks McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, it just—it's like what to believe. And we're about to get into this Michael Wolf book uh, that is based on a bunch of Steve oh Bannon insider quotes and other insider quotes. But like, it's hard to decide what shit coming out of this the administration is true and what isn't. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm willing to believe that Trump eats McDonald's every day. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, but also when you said it seems like there's some like coordinated rollout of like some, some of these things, there's a lot of suspicion right now that Bannon was actually the, one of the biggest leakers this whole time and that he was leaking a lot of shit of Trump, like the, the past year to the media already. Interesting. Yeah. Because actually a lot of the stuff in this book we're about to quote from, um, we already sort of knew. So how did we know that before that Steve Bannon was saying? Probably because Steve Bannon was the leaker. Right? Of course. I mean, if he was willing to do this kind of like crazy flip, then he was not loyal to Trump in the first place, obviously. Yeah, at first I was like, wow, Bannon plays the media Unless so this is well. All ruse That's what kind. I was thinking at first. I mean, I didn't believe it for days. I even told Anya, I was like, I don't believe this. I, know, me, I, I absolutely do not believe this at all. And everyone was like latching onto these random quotes like, oh, he said that what Trump did was treasonous. And it's like, okay, that without context could really be blown out of proportion. But I guess here we are where, you know, Trump threw him under the bus, calling him sloppy Steve, Alex Jones, Alex Jones saying he's been a deep state operative this whole time. It's like, what is going on? Even better, Alex Jones said that he knew he was an operative this whole time. I think he was a deep state operative this whole time. Roger, what do you think? I mean, lay it out. What, for people who haven't been following the intricacies of what the hell has been going on, do you want to kind of lay it out, Robbie? Yeah. And the book. Yeah. Well, okay. Basically in the, in a matter of days, I mean, it was happened very fast. Basically this guy, Michael Wolf, who has written for Buzzfeed, he's kind of like a typical, you know, kind of a hack, kind of like a Kurt Eichenwald style journalist, nothing to really write home about. Um, he, Announced and and I think it was NY Mag or the Daily News. I'm not sure. I forgot which actual. Maybe it was the New Yorker. I I forget. But anyways, they they had a scoop of all these passages from his from his inside the White House tell all book um, that relied on several insider uh, Bannon quotes, Steve Bannon quotes from before he actually left the administration and some from after. Um, and this story fucking caught fire. Immediately, because it almost seemed uh, impossible to believe what some of these quotes were saying. Um, what Abby just said that the, it kind of opened the opening salvo was basically that Steve Bannon thinks that the Trumps and specifically Don Jr. committed treason by doing that meeting at Trump Tower with that supposed Russian lawyer. Um, he actually said, "Quote: Even if you thought that that." Sh- that this was not treasonous or unpatriotic or bad shit. And I happen to think it is all of that. You should have called the FBI immediately, but that's the brain trust they had. Um, which is interesting because it almost means that 
Bannon is implying that he knew that that meeting was a really bad idea to do in the in the climate that was happening and that they should have called the FBI. Um, <laughs> then he also says the three senior guys in the campaign thought it was a good idea to meet with a foreign government inside Trump Tower in the conference room on the 25th floor with no lawyers. They didn't have any lawyers. So he's like, Bannon is expressing shock that they would have done this in such an irresponsible way. Um, and then he seems to think that uh, that this is going to come down to mon- money laundering, the Mueller investigation, which implies that there's something there that doesn't have anything to do with Russia, but there is something there. Bannon says, this is all about money laundering. Mueller chose Andrew Wiseman first, and he is a money laundering guy. Their path to fucking Trump goes right through Paul Manafort, Don Jr., and Jared Kushner. It's as plain as the hair on your face. It goes through Deutsche Bank and all the Kushner shit. The Kushner shit is greasy. You're going to go through all that. They're going to roll those two guys up and say, play me or trade me. And uh, one of the last things he says about the investigation is, they're sitting on the beach trying to stop a Category 5, <laughs> which, which, which implies that they're morons, and they're not actually trying to stop a Category 5 in a way that would make sense. They're just, like, sitting on the beach, like, watching it about to hit. Um, and then he says, one of the most ridiculous things he says is they're going to crack Don Jr. like an egg on national TV. Like, as, as if the Don Jr. is going to, like, spill the it's beans ridiculous. about this whole Russiagate, Mueller, you know, investigation. Um, I mean, just those quotes alone, it's really, it was really hard for me to believe they were real yeah. when I first saw them. Yeah. But I don't even know what Steve Bannon actually said in response to them. So, like, I was waiting for Steve Bannon to respond. And I remember watching InfoWars that day because I was really curious he to see. He didn't respond, did he? I don't know. I don't know if he actually... Because that was Alex Jones' whole thing, is that Steve Bannon hasn't confirmed nor denied them. Yeah, so he's like, this is all fake news, folks. This guy might be just like a BuzzFeed deep yeah, state, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. like Hillary insider writer. Right. Even though Michael Wolff was actually ostracized by sort of the mainstream media community at one point during the campaign because he gave a very neutral and friendly interview to Steve Bannon during like the peak of the election and a lot of his colleagues were like how could you do this like you fucking and was, asshole and now he's saying he did it to just try to get close well, that's what he's saying now yeah. I mean who knows if that's really what he's Does, I wonder if he throws Bannon under the bus you mean in the book yeah good question I mean maybe maybe Bannon you know maybe it's possible that you never really know I mean Bannon is obviously a Machiavellian dude yeah so if you really want to think about someone being Machiavellian I would probably look at Bannon and think, well, maybe he actually helped this guy not just give him quotes, but actually is like helping him with the narrative of the book as a means to sort of create a counter, you know, a counterbalance to Trump that could still be something that that he could That can transcend Trump. Yeah, because... If need be. Look at these recent tweets from Trump that we just read you about. He's saying he's like a really smart guy. He's a stable genius. All this shit. I mean, it just... (laughs) Like the conservative movement is stronger than a like a like a crazy narcissist who's going to go down in flames eventually, and they're not going to want to latch themselves entirely onto someone like that. 
there's going to be a tipping point where they're going to realize that they have more strength without Trump than with him. So maybe Bannon is just hedging his bets and seeing that event inevitability. Like if we're seeing it, you know, and we're not even conservative, like there has to be smart enough conservatives who are like, of course, at some point he's going to let our base down. Right. We need to be ready for that. So maybe this is just Bannon's exodus. Maybe yeah, no, I, I, I think Bannon is an extremely intelligent person. And like you're saying, the Machiavellian nature of this, I think it absolutely is a play that we will see the results of soon. I think that Trump is becoming increasingly unhinged and who the hell would want to ride the Trump train that long? I mean, who isn't like a mindless sycophant? Especially if all the stuff in this book is true. Like, even if it's only partly true, Michael Wolff has gone you know the book's actually not out yet only selected excerpts mm-hmm. so there could be even worse stuff in it but michael wolf the author has been saying that not a single person in trump's administration doesn't think he's a moron that like he's unanimously distrusted everyone's afraid of what he's going to do he does the opposite of like the best advice that he gets just because he's like a contrarian child um he he makes so many missteps he, everybody's on edge I mean, it's even worse than like all the rumors we've been hearing about like the discord and people can't get along. No, it's, There's backstabbing. Yeah. It's like, whoa, dude, like this is a real, it's like a crashing, like a plane going down in flames potentially. Like even regardless of the Russiagate shit, it just seems like his own personality is like so unable to like handle the job or just even to like the criticism, yeah, the job or even anything. just be able to have a relationship with the media. Like everything is falling apart. Mm hmm like a total disaster and his number one confidant is like that another like 20 year old 20 something year old woman who he like treats like his daughter hope or whatever that woman's name is Mm -hmm. um cory lewandowski's like ex-girlfriend it's like just very strange that he has these close confidants who are like jared kushner who's a total moron his own daughter hates a complete moron hate kushner and ivanka more than anyone else and actually um in the book, also, this is one thing that got barely any attention at all, is that Bannon also says that Sheldon Adelson's donations to Trump is why Trump went to APAC. And that was a pivotal moment because Bannon, even though he's a Zionist, knew, I think Bannon's probably smart enough to know that that would sort of lose them the credibility of like the actual, the literal like anti-Semitic alt-right Mm-hmm. And those kinds of people, like the real, the people who fed into the dialogue in the first place, this idea of the globalists. If Bannon is using that kind of language, he knows that Trump going to APAC was a gamble, you know, and could split that base, which it kind yeah. of did a little bit. He basically admitted that Trump's whole foreign policy thus far has been just at the behest of Sheldon Adelson, which is a lot for Bannon to admit yeah. as a Zionist. Yeah. I mean, there are some interesting things that Bannon is not talking about, though, like Maybe there'll be more stuff in the book about like how often does John Bolton visit the White House? How often is Newt Gingrich walking around? Well, they were there? trying to censor the logs, but I think a FOIA request just finally was able to oh, get right. those logs. But isn't that funny that they're even trying to censor that? Well, I, <laughs> like... I knew that right when they got into office. I saw that, and I was like, oh, well, obviously, if he gets neocons in and out, he's not. He doesn't want people to know. But that was actually one of the good things Obama did was he he made it so you can search all the yeah. logs. And like I was like actually astonished when I after I made a very heavy agenda, I actually was met kicking myself because I didn't search the log. Yeah. And I started finding like Fred and Kim Kagan personal meeting with Obama. Like I was like, holy fuck, like I could have put all yeah. this in the movie. It's like makes my case even stronger. 
you know? Well, it's just, it's all these weird, like, fascistic measures. You know, banning banning the visitor log from being transparent, um, not allowing cameras anymore in the press briefing room. I mean, this shit's scary, guys. Yeah, we didn't even talk about, I mean, and just on top of all this stuff, all, all this climate we're talking about, if there's all this confusion, if there's all this hatred towards Trump, if his cabinet's really falling apart, then it almost makes it even more... I don't know if it makes it more scary or more likely to happen, but it makes it feel more uneasy. Not saying that an organized push for war is less scary, but like the fact that it seems to be these movements going towards North Korea and Iran right now during all this is even like weirder. It's like, is Trump crazy enough to like want to launch a war just to take people's like focus away from what else going on? That's, and I think he is. That's what it's like. So, in North Korea, we didn't even talk yet about the, the my button is bigger than yours. I mean, oh this is right God. after we did our last, last broadcast about North Korea. So, you know, everyone's already heard that tweet by now. Really disturbing. Um, and You're obsessed with Trump's tweets. Why? Yeah, and I'm sorry, guys. Don't downplay this and say this is just systematic. All presidents are the same. And just, like, ignore all these things just because you think that it's, like, yeah, just because the empire continues and the military-industrial complex continues, t- continue, shouldn't take away from how insane Trump is yeah. and how dangerous he if is. If Hillary and Obama were tweeting things like that, you would be talking about them. Right. It's only because the mainstream media is overly focusing on some of these more outlandish things Trump does. While I can understand you wouldn't want to pile onto that, like there's still reason to be alarmed by it yeah. for like legitimate reasons. Exactly. Like, and and that's the thing. If If we attack North Korea right now, and Trump got us into a war. All those people, like even Bill Crystal, is acting like that tweet's really scary about the bigger. Button. Oh, I know, right? But Bill Crystal, that's the kind of shit he used to say he liked all the time. So he's just like playing coy right now. That's disgusting. And then, Anyways. and then, uh, you know, underneath all of this other stuff happening, there's Keebler Elf Jeff Sessions, who I don't, I don't know really why people aren't stressing this more because I find it to be a really big deal, especially in lieu of California legalizing recreational marijuana starting in January 1st of this year, 2018. Um, California, woohoo! And this is coming on top of 29 states um, that have already put into into place some kind of medical marijuana system. Eight states, um, including Washington, D.C., that have either legalized possession or have regulated a system for commercial sale of the drugs. So that's amazing. And it's incredible that California, who tried to do this before, but was blocked by, you know, the the same suspects, police unions, alcohol industry, whatever. So we were all wondering, like, what is going to happen, especially since Jeff Sessions is one of the most prominent, like, spokespeople for returning back to a Reagan-esque war on drugs mentality, like over-prosecutorial on marijuana users, nonviolent drug users. It's absolutely insane that here we are where like 70% of Americans at this point want legalized weed. It's actually 65%, according to the last Gallup poll, want legalized weed. This is the vast majority of Republicans as well. I think we've already just debunked all the absurd nonsense propaganda from Reefer Madness about why marijuana should not be on the same schedule as like heroin or crack cocaine, or, um, you know, methamphetamines. But unfortunately, Jeff Sessions is still a fucking moron who thinks that even CBD oil should be like a Schedule One drug. So here we're, here we are. I mean, the federal government is basically, it's still technically illegal. Um, I know Obama also 
Eric Holder was like cracking down on states that had legalized weed. We even saw a big DEA raid in Oakland that you filmed for Media Roots that people could check out. But this could get way ramped up. Um, We don't know where it's going to go. We're talking about a person who said that good people do not smoke marijuana. Of course, there's the joke about the KKK who he said that he thought they were okay guys until he learned that they smoked weed. I mean, it just gives you an insight on how babyish he is. So right when he got in, he rescinded that Obama era directive that basically instructed federal prosecutors to not prioritize cracking down on states medicinal marijuana policies. We already know that he did indeed do that and Eric Holder did too. But apparently there was some like bullshit law that was just like a like a recommendation, like let's not prioritize this crackdown. Yeah. But Jeff Sessions, of course, because they've just done everything that Obama has done, they've wanted to remove it. So that was the first thing he did. He rescinded this bullshit yeah. bill. So now he's saying, um, now he's basically saying that he wants to use, you know, federal resources to interfere with medical marijuana provisions in states that have legalized it. What happened to all the big government people? What happened to all the people's states' rights, states' rights? Well, that's the interesting thing. I feel like this might actually shave some of his base down even more if he does stuff this is like super this. unpopular it is super unpopular and that's one of the weird things that i realized trump just somehow stayed away from during his campaign he said that he supported medical marijuana when he was asked about it mm-hmm. but he never like talked about it on his own and never brought it up and actually in fact would talk about the drug war almost like he was still stuck in the 1980s like the idea that all the drugs are coming order. in from mexico oh my god you know like throwing, you know, drugs over the border and packages and all that shit. Um, and I don't know how much heroin is actually coming from Mexico, but like, you know, he never seemed to distinguish between or make a differentiation between like pot and other drugs. Mm-hmm. Like, so I would be very concerned about what he actually feels about marijuana. Maybe he made a calculated decision not to speak about how he actually feels about it because he think, does think it should be illegal. Really? Yeah. And with him stacking all these federal judges and stuff with like extremist right wing ideologues, I mean, it's scary because ultimately that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to just like individual U.S. attorneys who are going to decide if they want to enforce these crazy draconian drug laws. Yeah. And and then then, you know, the only like, what are we going to do to undo the damage from that? Just hope another neoliberal presidential candidate will just install his own judges to like try to reverse that. I mean, he is causing so much damage in that way um but then he's just causing so much damage to like the american standing in the world like our image you know according to this like sort of neoliberal neocon you know america's exceptional like intellectual class in dc he's making us look really bad you know and that's and that's also the damage he's doing but it's like not it's a totally different type of damage and it's mostly matters to people like that um so I don't know. I mean, even conservative ideologues, I just don't know how much longer this should go on. Even if he does all this shit for corporations and conservatives, like social conservatives, mm-hmm. I just don't know how much more he can keep this up without being stopped in some way. I mean, that's what I mean about that. We've talked about the factions. Like the deep state is just a really cartoonish term that is really meaningless. But like, the, of course, there are real political factions of the ruling class that exist within the federal government and the U.S. empire that extends obviously beyond just this government. Of course, there are factions within it that probably do want Trump dead. It's just totally obvious that people don't want this to be the face of like the rebranding of the empire. We went so far with Obama and then to go to Trump after that, it could like totally 
destroy and destabilize the hegemony and the plans of these two ruling factions, which has been the neoliberals and neoconservatives for a long, long time. Of course, they wouldn't want Trump to be the face of the foreign policy. That's usually like a seamless kind of bipartisan consensus that goes on and on and on. It's just weird. You would have to be almost foolish to think that people in the corridors of power haven't talked about this. Right. Unless it's all, once again, some kind of Machiavellian scheme where, you know, this is, you know, if you want to really oversimplify this, that the deep state wanted him to win. And for some reason that there is some kind of overall agenda behind having him as president, but then it's just, then you get into like, you know, you can't, it's, it's too complicated. It is. It's, and we don't know. You can't it to something that simple. And, but at the same time, like the idea that the deep state wanted Hillary to win is also just an oversimplified. Right. Totally. Also. Totally. It's just if like, they wanted her to win, then isn't the deep state powerful enough to rig an election? Like, right. I mean, so I don't know. Right. It's no, just, it's exactly why these people like donate to both parties. It's like, yeah. you're just literally, it's like why the Koch brothers invest in everyone. You just are investing and hedging your bets so then you can control more of the pie later on. One statistic that just blew my mind that I was reading today especially in light of like multiple states actually legalizing recreational marijuana is that more arrests are made in the US for marijuana possession than all violent crimes combined. Let me repeat that. More arrests are made 1.25 million arrests are made every year for drug possession. Isn't that insane? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking the other day, like, oh, you know, we always talk about nonviolent criminals and how we should obviously expunge the records of all these people now that we have medical marijuana and legalized weed. And I was like, oh, I wonder how many people are really in jail for like nonviolent crimes, you know, drug possession and drug use. And well, here's your answer. It looks like the majority, which is really shocking. I mean, it reminds me of the um, Philando Castle murder. Castile. Um, Philando Castile. Philando Castile. Um, where the cop said that he could smell marijuana in the car. Like after he the surmised fact. that if the guy was willing to smoke marijuana in front of his child in the car, then that meant that he was potentially, could like have a gun and would like potentially kill him. Um, that's to me just really revealing into the mindset of like, they, you know, they propagandize law enforcement and like, you know, you when you're growing up in school to think marijuana is a gateway drug, you know, yeah. to like becoming like a heroin addict or whatever. But I feel like for cops, it's like they probably also have a similar like paradigm of looking at it where it's like if you have anything to do with marijuana, that already means you're willing to break the law and therefore you like or have a criminal mentality. Mm hmm. So it's like to them, like even if you talk to like an older conservative person who's like anti-legalization of weed, they'll even sort of like look at it the same way that like, well, you're up to something bad anyways. Yeah. So you're doing something bad you shouldn't have been doing, you know? Yeah. You should be like us when we were kids, have a wet bar and like drink alcohol Even if I don't think the law is necessarily fair, it's still against the law. And, you know, you're hanging out with the wrong people anyways. I mean, that's kind of like the weird way they twist them. Like, Mm -hmm. and I feel like all cops sort of see it that way so that's why they can just keep doing this i mean it's like even to them they have to have some kind of cognitive dissonance to convince themselves that this is okay to do and to like round up this many people 
throw in jail. At least 137,000 people sit behind bars on simple drug possession charges, according to a report by the ACLU. Nearly two-thirds of them are in local jails. And the report says that most of these jailed inmates have not been convicted of any crime. They're just sitting there, like, on bail. Oh just like that guy, Keith Broder or whatever, who was, like, sitting in jail for three years because he couldn't afford bail or something, and then he just hung so himself. I mean, this is this is our criminal justice system, guys. When we hear Iran imprisons this many people, China executes this many people, we have the most prisoners per capita than a fucking country with a billion people. Just think about how insane that is. And we actually dare to call ourselves like the purveyor of morality and democracy around the world. It's disgusting how many people we have just sitting in prison. And after these people leave prison, they're like persona non grata. Um, they don't have any rights, basically. They can't vote. It's like if you have a felony conviction, you just are like have no agency. Yeah, and Obama even, was the first president who even like visited a prison. I know, and he did it. And remember when he did it? Was it after the Troy Davis thing? No, he did it with Vice. Oh my god! That was the weirdest <laughs> part about it. Is he so actually brought Vice? Like he gave them. I think other media outlets had like were were there, but he gave Vice like number one position in that whole event. He let them come and Shane Smith personally escorted him or escorted Shane Smith through the prison with him as he interviewed inmates. There were no other media cameras during those little things. Obama actually talked to like death row inmates and shit, like roundtable discussions with them. And Shane Smith was just there with him, sitting next to him. Good old Shane. Yeah. Good old Shane, I know- who, by the way, is about to go down really hard. From there's a lot of rumors that he ha- has also been a serial sexual harasser and uh, a, I don't know about like sexual assault but like really creepy inappropriate color shit me at the workplace shocked. for decades. Color me yeah. shocked. Gavin McGinnis's ex best friend. Wow, <laughs> it, it makes perfect sense. The whole Joe Biden visiting Vice and all this stuff. They're really trying to like get in with the hipster generation, but it's just weird, especially if it was behind closed doors with no cameras allowed to like go with Shane Smith. At these roundtable discussions of death row inmates, like, why? What did you get out of that, Obama, to, like, do this with Shane Smith? I think that what he got out of it was he was able to push his, possibly one of his preferred propaganda outlets to a state of legitimacy that grant them exclusive access. And then also Vice got out of it was, it was a historical moment. Right. I mean, you you right. you remembered it as a, as a historical moment, because it was. The I remember I was, a, like, first time yeah. a president visited... The prison, like, right? I mean, that's it's like what was Johnny Cash like the first like famous musician to go play at a mm-hmm. prison? You know, those are like historical moments that totally. And then so, we know that the Vice was at the COO. Oh, Alyssa Mastromonaco, yeah, uh, the COO of Vice used to be um, in Obama's like chief of staff pool. Like she was like one of like four people. She has like a fun op-ed, like how I almost lost my job yeah. because I smoked weed. Like how I almost like missed my dream opportunity to and she tie had to, the like, Obama she, administration like, to Vice. She like talked to Obama about the fact that she was like worried because she smokes weed, she'd be fired. And apparently Obama like told her it's okay. Like it's, what a it's cool fine. guy. It's cool, man. What a cool and guy. that literally is a person who played who did the exact same thing that Dana Perino did that the left was like horrified by where she moved from the Bush administration onto Fox news. What's the difference between um, a person on Obama's staff, chief of staff, because it's cool, going, bro, going to vice and working like as their CEO. It's cool, dude. <sighs> 
Well, we should wrap it up because we want to do a whole other one on, on Iran. Okay. So let's, uh, let's wrap it up. You guys, thank you so much for, uh, listening to us rant and rave about our insane, the times that we live in these insane times. Um, let us know what you think on the SoundCloud timeline. Check out the empire files too. If you, if you commute to work and you have a lot of time in the car and like to listen to podcasts, check out the empire files. We just put all of them up available on SoundCloud soon to be on iTunes all in podcast form. So my brother does some of the voiceover. I was so, just going to uh, say, I was just going to make a joke and say what you already revealed it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and then also we really, really wanted to thank you guys for helping us finally reach our Patreon goal. Um, we reached it over the new year's and holiday break and, uh, we're just really excited for the future of media roots radio and getting more content out to you guys. And our goal um, was basically promising four episodes per month. And um, we're going to be working our asses off to get that to you. Um, and at first, we're, we're not exactly sure which day we're going to release them on. They probably won't be coming out on the same day every week. But you will be getting four episodes a month. Um, bear with us for a little bit. And we're going to try to figure out eventually like a pretty locked in you know, weekly release mm-hmm. schedule. Um, but for now, definitely you'll be getting four episodes a month. And we just want to thank you so much for donating and um, supporting us. And for anybody who isn't familiar with Patreon or who would like to support us in that way, you can go to patreon.com slash media radio. Stay tuned for another whole podcast about the Iran protests. Thanks so much, you guys, for listening. Peace out.